Welcome to the re-release project of the Keeping Things Alive podcast, which is the republication of episodes that were originally recorded and published between 2016 and 2020 out of Western New York. My name is Laura Evans. I'm a former environmental lawyer, planner, and nonprofit staffer. I also wrote a book called Silent Seasons, Chasing Sustainability Through the Law. The Keeping Things Alive podcast is here to explore the opportunities and challenges as we all live together on this beautiful, living, and interconnected planet Earth. Hello, today I'm sharing with you my interview with Miles Gresham. Miles is an attorney with a family and estate planning practice in Buffalo, New York. Outside of his day job, he's coordinating a get-out-the-vote campaign for this 2017 election season through the Young Black Democrats and the Bernie Tolbert for Erie County Sheriff campaign. Miles is also redeveloping a property in the city of Buffalo through his family's real estate development company and teaching two classes for Upward Bound, which is a college prep course through Buffalo State University. And finally, Miles is the author and creator of his blog, www.therealistrealist.com. So, Miles is a good friend of mine, and we cover a wide range of topics as we explore his background. Um, He grew up in the city of Buffalo, moved out to Amherst, left to go to college at Howard University, came back for law school, went to California. So he's uh, been able to live in a number of places, but also grown up in Buffalo. So um, it's really great to hear his perspective on where the city is, where it's going, and where it has been. Um, I also really enjoyed talking with him about why he cares so much about people registering to vote and becoming engaged citizens in our political process which seems to be the only way to get out of the current um, chaos that we're in with this uh, new administration and just, you know, the constant uh, political upheaval that seems to be more the norm these days. Um, I also wanted to mention that our interview happened on June 16th, 2017, which is the same day that a Minnesota jury found a police officer not guilty for the death of Philando Castile, who um, is a black man who was shot and killed in front of his girlfriend and daughter during a routine traffic stop. Since that day that we had our interview, um, the deeply disturbing dash cam video has been released. The city of St. Anthony and Castile's family have reached a legal settlement through the civil legal system, and the officer is leaving the police force. But uh, horrific events like these erode our criminal justice system and our trust in one another. They also prevent us from working together on other issues in our society, and it's just really heartbreaking that um, this is still going on today. I also couldn't help when I was talking with Miles. Um, it was the same week that I had done interviews with Samantha Nephew and Massachusetts Avenue Project. And there were just some really interesting parallels. So listening to those three interviews together is is quite interesting. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that all of these people that I interviewed that week, um, they're young people and they're stepping into the organizing and activism space in Western New York. I had a great time conducting this interview and I learned a lot. So please enjoy my conversation with Miles Gresham. Thanks for being here. 
Hi, Laura. Thank you for having me. It's good to see you. Um, We'll start with the first question. And when people ask you what you do, how do you answer them? Uh, I usually just tell them I'm an attorney. Okay. Then do you elaborate on that? What's the next? Well, it depends if they ask. You know, I don't, I don't, uh, you know, usually, you know, when people say, what do you do? You give them a job title, right? So I I usually just say I'm an attorney. If they want to know more, I elaborate. If not, you know. Okay. So I want to know more. Um, What kind of law do you practice? Okay. Well, uh, I practice, um, I have a general civil practice. So, um, Mostly non-criminal. Uh, the, the bulk of my practice is matrimonial and family law, real estate law, and uh, wills and estate planning. Okay. So that's your day job. And then I know you wear other hats. So what are some of the other ones that you're wearing I, at the moment? I do. I wear a couple of other hats. Well, um, I, I've just started uh, a blog called therealistrealist.com. Um, the uh first article should be up by the end of this weekend. Mm -hmm. Um, But more importantly for me, um, I I am uh, doing a get out the vote effort uh, in Buffalo and Erie County uh, this election season. Um, I started working with a, a group uh, founded by uh, an, another person who I hope you interview very soon by the name of Katrina Martin-Bordeaux, who started mm-hmm. a, a group called the Young Black Democrats of Western New York. Um, and so I, I've started doing uh, get-out-the-vote efforts through that organization. Uh, I've also recently become the official get-out-the-vote coordinator for the uh, Bernie Tolbert for Sheriff campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Bernie is running for sheriff in Erie County, and, and we are trying to uh, get out the vote and, and, and change the uh, policing structure in, in Erie County as a result. So. Okay. We're going to talk about all that stuff later. Um, so thanks for that sure. broad introduction. Um, actually, I want to ask you one more thing. I know you're also working on some real estate development stuff. So can you mention that really briefly? Uh, yes, um, I have a, a small company called uh, Tripoli Development, um, and it's a just a family-owned company. We um, own one property now, um, and we are uh, you know, developing it just like uh, anyone else. We are, um, you know, witnessing the uh, sort of process of development and also the larger process of, of what happens as a result of that development and, and trying to navigate through that. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks uh, in the uh, you know, quote-unquote activist arena uh, have a lot to say about development, but very few people are, are actively engaged in doing it. And so um, it's part uh, you know, part of what we're doing is, is obviously to make money, um, but another part is to, you know, develop in a way that uh, we feel morally comfortable with. Uh, mm-hmm. After all, you know, my, my family is, most of my family is from the east side of Buffalo. I was born on the east side of Buffalo, and so uh, I believe very strongly that if people are going to make money off of the development of the east side of Buffalo. Some of those people should actually come from the east side of Buffalo. So it's a a novel concept in this city, but we're trying to make it work. Right. Well, it just seems like um, this past couple of weeks, I've probably had about four different conversations with people who are noticing that, you know, gentrification is upon us and it's happened in other cities before. So maybe trying to learn from that, but no one seems to be really being able to articulate anything like any good solutions. So I, I just think that the project you're doing is really interesting because it's it's helping turn an older building 
into something that can be used by other people. And I don't know if you do. You have any thoughts on what's happening in the East Side? And I have a, a whole lot of thoughts. On what's happening uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe as it relates to like the project you're working on, how has what's happening on the East Side impacted what you're doing with your property? Sure. Um, well. Uh, it, you know, it influenced us to buy the property in the first place. We saw, uh, you know, the the sort of the tide of development coming up uh, Genesee Street and coming uh, through the Fruit Belt, um, coming into Hamlin Park area near Canisius College. And, and you know, we uh, knew people who owned property in that area who wanted to get rid of it. And so we bought one and, and we just uh, said, you know, we're going to start trying to make money. And, and sure enough, you know, the, the um, appraisal value um started to go up uh, you know almost immediately from the time that we purchased it initially it was appraised for uh, less than we actually bought it for mm-hmm. um, but you know afterwards when we uh, you know got our insurance assessments based on the market values um, in the area um, it was it was already higher than, than what we had paid for it without us having to do uh, any work and we intend to do quite a bit of work mm-hmm. um, you know I think that uh, certainly you know that the move from uh, the medical campus UB's medical campus moving downtown into the Fruit Belt area has had a, a big impact, as well as, um, you know, the Buffalo Billion and, and that uh, influx of money. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, politics being what they are in Buffalo, um, only certain, a small number of people uh, control uh, who gets that money. Only a small number of people are able to get those, you know, tax breaks that make it worth doing, you know, multi-million dollar developments. Um, and, you know, only a small number of people are able to get, you know, that Buffalo Billion money to do development projects. And what's 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 kind of perverse about it is, um, you know, we all pay those taxes. We all, we all you know, we all um, foot the bill for these taxes tax breaks, mm. you know, by virtue of, of us being taxpaying citizens in the city of Buffalo, and only a small handful of people are able to develop, uh, are able to benefit from that. So it's really like a form of, of corporate welfare, and it's not something that my company engages in at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, it, you know, it's 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 un, it's unfortunate. And I also think, um, I'll, I'll, uh, you know, when we talk about development, I mean, some people see it as, you know, well, what's wrong with taking a neighborhood uh, that used to be, you know, ridden, quote unquote, with drugs and crime and making it safer and making it, um, you, you know, safe to walk down the streets at night and getting rid of the, the, the drug traffic and getting rid of the violence and absolutely nothing wrong with that. But there's this idea that in order to do that, you have to replace the people who lived in that community. And that's mm-hmm. what's so wrong about it. That's when we people talk about the violence of gentrification. It's not violence in the sense of a physical assault or a battery. It's a violence in the sense of, you know, forcing people to be uprooted from their community, taking people who have uh, rented in this community for such a long time and just tossing them out, you know, taking people who own their homes, um, who can't afford to fix them up, and imposing, you know, all these fees on these homeowners. It's like, you know, and, and understand, you know, we're we're both, you know, attorneys. I mean, that's the law, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, w- how come the laws weren't being enforced when those when those homeowners owned those homes and when those neighborhoods were, you know, solidly working class, middle class, w- over the last few decades when those neighborhoods have, uh, you know, declined to the level that they were at. You you know, no one was sticking up for those homeowners. No one was enforcing those codes. Now, now that people want those homes, mm-hmm. you know, all of a sudden people get all these, uh, you know, violations and get pushed out of their homes. And that's by design. I mean, you know, we don't, you know, if you're, if you, um, 
have a housing violation and you know someone in, in housing court or you know someone who's in charge of you know uh, permits if you know someone who's a city inspector um, it's it's pretty easy you know to get around those things but if you don't if you're cut off from that uh, you know that sphere of influence um, you know they come for you and they come for your house um, more more important than that I think is the the sort of lack of financial literacy uh, in those neighborhoods that are being targeted for gentrification. So, um, you know, a lot of people, a lot of folks who have family um, in these areas that are being developed on the east side and on the west side, a lot of people have, you know, a a grandmother or an aunt or a grandfather or or uncle or someone who's lived in that neighborhood um, who owns a home, you know, who has a really valuable asset to the people who could actually benefit from, um, you know, maintaining and, and, and fixing up that property and taking advantage of this, you know, sort of tide of gentrification that's coming through their neighborhoods, but they don't have that financial literacy. And yeah. so, you know, these a lot of these folks have never seen $30,000 at one time in their life. And so you can purchase their home for $30,000, you know, and just sit on it and wait a couple years or, you know, fix up, make a couple, you know, cosmetic improvements and turn around and sell it for twice as much or, um, you know, maintain it and, and rent it and have, you know, rental income coming in for years. I mean, uh, people don't know um, how to do that. The other thing is that a lot of these homeowners are getting older. And, you know, part of what I do in my practice is I, I deal with uh, guardianships and elder law. And and, and what happens when, when a person um, needs to be taken care of, when a, when a person gets old, when they get sick, when they need, you know, to go into an assisted living facility or a nursing home or anything like that, the process is absolutely vicious. They strip these people of their assets unless they are protected by some sort of trust, mm. um, those people have to sell their homes. They have to sell, you know, their cars. They have to liquidate all of their assets until they're below a certain level of poverty, and then the federal government will kick in and start paying the ten thousand dollars a month, sometimes or more, it can cost mm-hmm. for them to live in one of these facilities. And so, and so that's another way that a lot of people end up uh, losing their homes, and they lose them to people who, um, you know, have had a leg up. They lose them to people who have more financial literacy. They lose them to people who are coming in from outside of their neighborhoods and unfortunately a lot of those people have a certain uh, image of, of folks who you know grew up on on the east side you know I, I hear people all the time you know tell me they don't think that I they're, they're surprised when I say that I come from you know 14215 and then I was born on Northumberland Avenue and that I was raised in University Heights um, they, they, they think that you know we are all um, unintelligent people and, there, and there's a there's a sort of a long-standing prejudice I mean going back even to um, you know the days when we were younger you know when the guy named Jimmy Griffin was mayor and there was that you know the famous snowstorm and and Jimmy Griffin said well you know plow the south side first because those people have to get to work you know mm, <laughs> it was like yeah. the east side people don't work um, uh-huh. you know we're this is a working class city you know a lot of everyone most people in the city you know work very hard for a living and unfortunately there's this this uh, idea idea that um, people from certain areas are not deserving of respect they're not deserving of dignity and 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 they see people like me owning these properties and occupying these neighborhoods as an affront to them and they feel mm-hmm. like they have some right to quote unquote take back their city and that's what they're doing um, and they're being when very, you say they who are you talking about I'm right talking there? about what might be commonly referred to as a developer class uh, okay uh, you know people who people who make 
you know, their money off of coming in and taking properties and, and, um, and, and really just not having any concern for the neighborhood around them. I mm-hmm. mean, when we bought our property, the first thing we did was we talked to all of our neighbors yeah. anyone that, you know, all the, all the folks that we could find, we spoke to them and we said, you know, we introduced ourselves and we listened to their concerns. We listened to, you know, their concerns about the kind of people that we were going to be bringing in and, um, and we worked with them, you know, right. and, and we're in there. We, we talk to them every step of the way. I mean, but a lot of a lot of companies don't do this. They come in, they basically, you know, set up a colony of the suburbs in, in, in some part of the city of Buffalo yeah. and want everything to look like that. And they don't they don't they don't have any they just want the they see the people in those neighborhoods as an obstacle and people that need to be removed because they can't afford the rents that they want to charge. Um, mm. You know, they're not going to go to their, you know, their their trendy restaurants and whatnot. And so they just want them out, you know, right. and it's really unfortunate. I think you're, uh, you're, you have a really good point or you're like, sh- you're showing a really good example of the fact that not all companies are the same. So the fact that you just by virtue of buying a place and wanting to, um, you know, remodel it and make it a better place and then rent it out to people like you are a company and then there are others that aren't so I guess what I'm saying is like the point of business is that some are you know good and some are bad and like you got to kind of you got to do the research and but there are a lot of people that are just coming into Buffalo right now and buying things up and yeah like, like you said it's a few it's not like a lot but you're I mean, what do you think? Like, how many more companies like you are there out there? Are you the I, only one? I haven't. Or? I mean, I haven't. We've we've kind of been focused on doing our own thing, right, but yeah. um, I haven't met very many. I mean, I've met a lot of people who own properties who um, really speak about their tenants in uh, really derogatory terms. Um, yeah. There are some owners on the west side who you know rent to uh, refugees and um, you know uh, basically um, you know keep their tenants in squalor by holding over the head the fact mm-hmm. their head the fact that they're refugees and you know this idea that well if you complain too much about this toilet that doesn't flush I'm going to call ice on you I'm going to deport yeah. you there's a lot of that and it's 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 very unfortunate right I um, do it's very I mean unfortunate. and I don't yeah. I don't um I don't I don't know how many other companies there are um like ours yeah frankly I, it would be great if there were more but you know the point of business and we all know this the point of business is to make money yeah. you know and some people say well hey if if your neighborhood changes and you don't own property and you can't afford to live there anymore that's just tough and you just have to move mm-hmm. um and i think i think that's frankly i think that's the position of, of most of these businesses and yeah. and you know i'll be honest like the point of my development business is to make money you know it's it's not to make people feel good um right. but i think that there's a way that one can do both and I think the the best way to do business um, is to do it in a way that doesn't piss off everybody around you yeah and I think that that can be scaled up to bigger corporations too and I mean they've like I spoke with sister Eileen before and they you know before they invest in any company they screen out ones that they don't morally agree with and Mm -hmm. um and they find that their uh, investments do better. So a lot of times when you actually do things and like support the people that are working for you and buying your products or whatever, um, I mean, that is 
how capitalism is supposed to work and then there's all the other stuff that's rolled into it but yeah i I think you're a really good example of like people who are doing it right well we're trying we're just getting started so you know we're we're at the but i think you're still in the right place so so right i know we we haven't uh we haven't gotten there yet but but i do think that we have a good a good model for doing yeah definitely all right (laughs) so you already talked about this for a second about where you grow where you grew up um but if you want to talk about that a little bit more like just your experiences growing up in the east side and i know that you moved and you've had various educational experiences that have taken you outside of buffalo so you know you don't have to say everything but you know what what kind of rings a bell for you with that yeah sure um so i I was born on uh northumberland avenue off of kensington avenue in uh in buffalo new york uh, in 1986 um shortly thereafter that area became um really heavily um infested by uh, crack cocaine by Mm -hmm. um you know people selling and doing crack um, and so, you know, my parents decided to move our family to University Heights to uh, Treehaven Road, uh, which is where, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, it's where uh, Windspear uh, crosses Eggert. Um, it's on the out, sort of on the outskirts of, of Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, it was, at the time, one of the few, uh, I guess you would call it like middle class uh, integrated neighborhoods. Uh, you know, Buffalo's notorious for being segregated, uh, and um, most of the neighborhoods that aren't segregated are um, or were at that time, um, I guess more, I guess what you would call working class. Although all these terms sort of lose their significance in the context yeah. of you know five people in the world owning you know as much wealth as you know most right. of the rest so, of us. So, so what was changed, it like for but, you though, as a kid, to like change neighborhoods like that? Well, um, you know, I was I was younger when I when we moved from Northumberland, um, but when I did move, um, you know, most of my most of my friends um, still lived in neighborhoods that more closely resembled Northumberland than than resembled Treehaven. Okay, so okay, um, so. We, you know, we got to see both. And so, you know, like I said, my, my parents, both of my parents uh, went to college. They're fairly well-educated. They had, you know, decent jobs. They were they could afford to move me out and to move my sister out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of our friends, a lot of our relatives uh, couldn't afford to do that, you know, but they didn't stop being our friends and stop being our relatives. So every time I left my house, I was going, you know, to uh, Hamlin Park or to, you know, Wollers Avenue or to the Fruit Belt or to, you know, back to Northumberland and to the those areas. So I, it was for me growing up, um, I, I kind of, I guess, I guess I, I grew up on sort of a class fault line, if you will, mm-hmm. um, where I was able to see, you know, um, I was able to see what it was like to live in uh, a poorer neighborhood and what it was like to live in, you know, a, a safer, more middle class neighborhood uh, coming up in Buffalo in the 80s and 90s when when Buffalo was still um, I mean, it is now, but it was it was pretty um, pretty violent uh, in some areas. I mean, there were there were larger uh, gangs running around at the time. Um, you know, like I said, crack cocaine was uh, really becoming popular and becoming a, a big money maker um, in most major cities. And, and so, um, you know, there were there were areas where um, 
you know, like if I, like in my, on my parents' block, um, you know, everything was, it was, it was like the Cosby show, you know, everybody was cool, everybody had a job, you know, people were, you know, nice to you, you know, no matter, kind of like no matter what call you, it was like the Cosby show or Sesame Street or something. And then literally, you know, across Eggert Road uh, on Winspear, you know, you could hear gunshots at night sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it was, it, it was definitely, and I, I think, I think a lot of people haven't, you know, now that I'm an adult, a lot of people seem to have either had one experience or the other. Okay. And I think that in, in, in Buffalo, I guess my experience, um, not to say that it was unique. I mean, certainly other people have had it, but I, I think that uh, fewer people had that experience growing up where they're able to see both, you know, where you're able to, um, you know, uh, see a drive-by shooting one day and then like go to the Philharmonic the next day I mean that was that was kind of uh you know I had I had weekends like that thank god I did not have many um you know because I I wasn't you know I didn't have to come home to that um you know, but it it was something that um, I, I I grew up I grew up around all different parts of the city. You know, mm-hmm. and and that certainly shaped um, my upbringing and certainly shaped what I do now. So yeah. So do you want to talk anything about either college or law school? Like you don't have to like list off what you did. <sighs> yeah, but yeah, what, sure. What sure. kind of what sticks out in your memory about those experiences? Well, um, so right when I was. Um, when I was younger, I went to a, a private Christian school that is no longer around, um, and then I took a test uh, to get into City Honors. Um, I, if I had gone to Buffalo Public Schools, I would have gone to Kensington High School, which at the time was the worst or one of the worst high schools in the city. Um, but fortunately, you know, I. I did well enough on the entrance exam to get into city honors. And so I went there from fifth grade to ninth grade. And that was a, a magnet school where you had, you know, it was a really diverse population of a bunch of smart kids, which again is, you know, the a population that's diverse and where the kids are academically successful is, is a rare occurrence right. in, in Buffalo. And so that, or that anywhere. Certainly, yeah. And so that certainly shaped um, my experience. I, then when my parents divorced when I was 15, uh, my mother moved to Amherst. And so uh, I ended up graduating from Amherst Central High School, which is a much more, uh, much whiter, more homogenous sort of, yeah. sort of community. Um, and then I went to Howard University in Washington, D.C. for my undergraduate studies. I studied history and political science there. Um, Howard is a what they call a HBCU or historically black college and university. Um, and, and it was uh, set up by a Civil War general in 1867. And in, in part, actually, so that his daughters uh, would have somewhere to go. Because keep in mind, in the 19th century, the education system uh, discriminated against women as well as mm-hmm. uh, you know black people and people of color um and and so uh you know that that had a huge impact on 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 what i wanted to do just being around you know learning about the civil rights movement from people who had been in it although we have those people in buffalo too and, and you know i was fortunate to have my my mom as one of them um but you know learning about you know thurgood marshall from people who had practiced with him mm-hmm. you know uh, uh uh learning about um the history of this country in the epicenter of the country uh, certainly had a big impact, but also just being around, being in a community of mostly black educated people is, is, is really not an experience that a lot of us get in Buffalo. And, 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 
Um, and really in, in most major cities, I mean, like, you know, Atlanta and, and Washington, D.C., and, you know, a lot of those places are uh, exceptions. But, you know, in, in most major cities, uh, you have this sort of small uh, group of, you know, um, black professionals. And, and, the, and, and when we say educated people, I don't necessarily mean professionals. There are a lot of professionals who are not very educated at all. (laughs) And there are a lot of educated people, very wise people who, you know, don't have those educational credentials, but have, I think, a lot more to offer than a lot of the folks who do. Um, But it's, it's sort of, it's, unfortunately, it's, it's, it's sort of, um, we are isolated from one another, you know, and, and so Howard was a place where we all got together and it mm-hmm. was just a, a beautiful experience and it's it's the one educational institution that I am thankful I went to every day. Yeah. Um, so after that, I, I uh, decided to go to law school. I decided when did that, you decide um, that? Well, uh, I wanted to be a lawyer from the time I was four years old. Uh-huh. Uh, my, <laughs> my, father, uh, my father was a professor at UB Law School for a time. Um, my older sister is also an attorney okay. and, um, I've owned a, a copy of the constitution since I was eight years old. And so that the, <laughs> yeah. the, I, so wanting to go to law school, that was decided, I think very early in life, but, but you know, the, the final, you know, immediate decision to go to law school mm-hmm. was made, um, you know, after a, a lot of nights of walking around the National Mall at night and reflecting on what I was going to do mm-hmm. after college and, and, and really just looking at, the the state of the country and and the state of the country in the context of our moment in history and saying well um if i'm going to change things i'm probably going to need to be able to understand the legal system yeah and what better way to do that than actually become you know someone who practices law and so um i decided uh to come back here uh to go to law school because i had it in my head that um i was in a position to take on a lot of the the problems facing Buffalo. And I also had and still have this theory that because Buffalo is, you know, the third poorest city in the nation, because um, it's a nation where it's a city rather, um, where you have a fairly large population of both black and white poor people. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of cities do not have a large white poor population. Buffalo Mm -hmm. does. Um, And and because of that, um, I thought, well, um, there might be more opportunities for uh, our communities to find common ground and to take on some of the challenges that we both face together. And my, my, my theory, um, it's just a theory, but my theory is that uh, if we are able to solve those problems in Buffalo, we could create a blueprint to solve those problems um, in cities across the country. Yeah. Um, so. That's, yeah, that's good. Um, and I, it makes sense. It's a good theory. Um, I hope you keep, uh, keep working on it. Um, so that would, that leads me right into, um, the next question and what causes are you the most passionate about? And, um, yeah, when did you start working on them? Where have you found successes? And then also where have been the hangups and difficulties? Um, I, I am most passionate about getting people involved in the political process and uh, my my objective is to change policy mm-hmm. and i think we can only do that you can you, there's two ways that you can change policy you can either um, be born rich or get rich 
and you know contribute to people's campaigns and 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 you know just uh, lobby with your money, mm-hmm. um, you know which is what the developer class in this city does. Mm-hmm. Um, or you have to have people power, and you, that's a, that's a lot more difficult. <laughs> you have yeah. to you have to um, you know get people who are um, disengaged, who do not feel that they have. Uh, anything invested in the political process and get them to change their minds and get them to come out and vote. Um, but I think that doing that is essential to any real policy change. I think the only way to do it is to, you know, if you go to a politician, you say, hey, I want this policy changed. And he's got, you know, uh, this other group of people, you know, who are funding his campaign he's going to smile and he's going to nod and he's going to thank you for participating in the political process. And then he's going to ignore you because you don't fund his campaign. The only way that you can match that is to either get your own money and Mm -hmm. and fund another campaign or um, you cause a divide between the money and the votes, right? Because the campaign money is only valuable in as much as it gets you airtime, it gets you placards, it gets you literature, it gets you... It gets you the things that you need or that you think you need to get people to vote for you. But if we look at, for example, this last presidential election, mm-hmm. you know, the guy who won it didn't spend the most money, but he was able to motivate um I don't want to say more people because he didn't actually win the popular vote, but he was able to motivate enough people to come out and vote for him without spending uh, anywhere near as much as his opponent. And so, Mm -hmm. um, and and, and that's what I think you need to do. I think that you have to get people um, involved. You have to, you have to show people that it's worth becoming involved and then you have to get them uh, to, uh, you know, sustain that involvement. So, so do you have any thoughts on how to, explain to people or show people that it's worth getting involved? Sure. Uh, you know, look at the difference between, um, you know, a school system where the parents are active mm-hmm. and when where they show up to vote versus, you know, a school system where school board elections, you know, no one shows up, yeah. you know. Um, if you, if, you know, when I, when I went to um, Amherst, I mean, you know, there were all these... Um, you know, I guess I guess some people might stereotype them as soccer moms, but there were you know soccer moms and soccer dads, and there were there were parents who were actively involved in um, their children's schooling. They were actively involved in you know what decisions the school board made. Mm-hmm. If 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 parents wanted, you know, I think at one point there was some issue about a science lab when I was in high school. You know, those parents showed up and they said, "Hey, we want this science lab." Mm-hmm. They got it done. You know, yeah. if you it, it, so there's a there's a huge difference between, um, you know, those districts uh, and districts where people are not as actively engaged. Of course, there are other differences, like the right. fact that, you know, people in Amherst are more likely to have time to be involved I was, right? yeah, I was thinking because they that. don't have to work two jobs to keep right. the lights on and to exactly. pay the rent. Yeah. Um, but nevertheless, um, you know, you, you kind of have to make time for what's important. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the one of the one of the things that we don't talk about a lot is that this city was the city has been an activist hub for over a century. I mean, this is one of the places where the abolitionists met. This was uh, where the uh, Niagara movement was founded, which is the precursor to the NAACP. Um this was a hub for the suffrage movement. So, um, you know, there we have a legacy in the city of of 
people. This is also one of the hubs of the labor movement. So we have a legacy of people in this city um, who weren't always the richest, who didn't always have the most leisure time, but who used the time that they had um, to really uh, go the extra mile to establish political power on behalf of themselves and their community. And when they did that, mm-hmm. um, it, it paid dividends. So I, th- I think, I, I think you know, in order to get, in order to, you know, show people like, hey, it's worth it, I think you can show people examples of that from history. I think you can show people examples of other communities right now um, that have, uh, that, that are paid more attention to because, um because they they put more into the political process because they they are you know in front of their their elected representatives every day you know complaining and and telling them hey this is what we want and the the key thing is if they if those politicians uh, in a politically active area do not do what the people want those people make them feel it in the voting booth yeah they show up okay um and and in this uh, in this city um people don't do that mm. it's, it's it's really unfortunate people don't do that i mean just to take a quick example um yeah. in this in erie county uh democrats outnumber republicans two to one Mm-hmm. And yet Republicans control the sheriff's office, they control the comptroller's office, right? The county clerk's office, the legislature. Why? Why? Because Democrats don't vote. Mm-hmm. They do not vote. We we get on Facebook and we, we have all these angry emojis and sad emojis for all these political actions that are taking place that we don't like, but we don't get off our asses and vote. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem. And that's something that, that has to change. Yeah. Um, and if it does change, we will see change in the way that our, our politicians respond to us. We'll see changes in, in who those politicians are um, and, and, and in how they respond to our needs. But, you know, it, it, really, um, it really is about, at this point, um, getting enough people who are just so sick of the status quo that they'll try something new. I mean, that's how Trump got elected, right? Yeah. You know, so that's what we have to do is say, hey, you know, well, you've been sitting on your ass for the last 15 years and nothing's happened. Try voting, yeah. you know, and get people to just, you know, take that leap of faith and, and, and do that. And I think that if you do that, you know, you'll see, you'll see, um, you'll see change because you'll see, uh, you'll see the votes, uh, the, 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 the voting percentage uh, in, in the city change. So just really quickly, one more thing. Uh, in the last sheriff's election, mm-hmm. um, the city of Buffalo turnout was under 35%. Yeah. Um, you know, if we, if we get that up to 50%, um, there's a different sheriff. Yeah. You know what I mean? All these right. issues in the holding center. Now someone else who is actually responsible to the people in the city who voted for him um, is, in, is in charge. Yeah. Um, but as long as we don't come out to vote, um, the sheriff is going to be selected by people in the suburbs who don't give a shit about black people in the city dying in the holding center. And yeah. so we have to change that. I want to talk about that. I think, yeah, let's just talk about it now. I Actually, before that, though... Um, where are the difficulties with getting people involved in the political process? Like, I know they don't vote, but what has what have been some difficulties with moving that forward? And like, what are yeah that I do want to know about that first. Sure. Um, well, the difficulties have really just been um, getting people to think that voting will make a difference. Okay. That is really, I think, the biggest challenge. And the thing is, things have been so bad for so long 
I, I think that it's, I think that first of all, I think that even in places where things have been bad for so long, I think people assume that somebody votes, mm-hmm. right? You know, even if they don't vote, they yeah. assume that their neighbors are voting, somebody is voting, and that, that people are just not listening to them, no matter if they vote or not. Yeah. And that's really not the case. And that, that can be overcome by showing them, you know, data on, you know, how their neighborhood rep- voted. And if okay. you, if you look at a neighborhood that doesn't vote, um, you're looking at a neighborhood that is going to be uh, poorly represented in, in politics because those politicians know, well, hey, uh, no no politician can make everybody happy all the time. So they're going to choose um, who they're going to ignore mm-hmm. and, and who they're going to work for. Yeah. And if you if your neighborhood doesn't vote, you're making that choice really easy for them. So I, I think that's the challenge. The other challenge is... is, is um, you know, getting pe- at this point, it's not just about getting people to think that their vote makes a difference. It's getting people to stop hating the system long enough for them to participate. Yeah, in it. right. Um, you know, we have, I mean, in, in this country, I mean, especially with respect to, um, you know, African Americans, I mean, th- this political system has been has been uh, purposely hostile to us for so long yeah. that people think that. Um, this system is just designed to kill us. It's designed to keep us poor. It's designed to, and 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 they're not completely wrong. But there's a reason why you know so many African Americans died trying to get the vo- right to vote. It's mm-hmm. because the people who wanted to keep them poor and wanted to keep them out of the political process knew yeah. that black people voting is dangerous to that aim. Mm-hmm. You know, black people voting is dangerous to that agenda of keeping black people impoverished and, and out of power and out of control. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so, but but getting people to see past that getting people to see past just the mounting you know uh, <laughs> grievances I mean even up to today with the acquittal of the you know the murder of Philando Castile I mean there, yeah. there, there, there's just so there's there are so many examples of why not to care and why not to become engaged and it's hard to overcome that cynicism and that nihilism and and, and so um, that is something that that um, that I find challenging but because we've been cynical and have been nihilistic for so long and things haven't gotten any better I think now people are willing to uh, change how they operate if it'll change the status quo. And, and I, I think um, I, what I'm finding is that more and more people um, are willing to take a chance. More and more people are willing to try to do anything because the, the status quo is just absolutely um, intolerable right. at this point. How do, you, um, how do you deal with that cynicism? And why do you, like, why are you participating in this get out the vote? thing right now like I mean you're dealing with all of the same things like how are you able to get past some of that yeah um well you know I'm a I'm a I'm a historian and I'm a history nerd and um you know so I am able to I find great solace and comfort in looking at you know what people who came before me have gone through and how how they worked through it um you know, if, if if my thing personally, how I get myself through my own cynicism and nihilism, uh, of which I, I have some, as you may know, um, mm-hmm. is is really by looking at those people. It's by you know thinking about um, you know just just my mother and everything that she's done for my family and for me, and you know the things that she's pushed through, um, you know to get there. Um, you know the 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 people who. Um, you know, got us the right to vote. I mean, it, it, my thing personally that I tell myself is, you know, if if 
if Harry, if Harriet Tubman could could you know traipse through woods and be freezing and be cold and be wet and have dogs on our heels if you know if 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 Martin Luther King could get shot if Medgar Evers could get shot if Malcolm X could get shot if if Mickey Schwerner could get shot if all these people could lay down their lives for what I have the opportunity to do then who the hell am I to get held up by my you know little cynicism and my my you know feeling bad every now and then, um, and that works for me. It doesn't every it doesn't always work for everybody else. So what I try to do with other people is really just meet them where they are. You know, if if um, if people tell me that they don't want to be a part of the system, then I tell them, well, hey, guess what? You live here. You got an ID. You got a social security number. They know where you are. You're part of the system. Doesn't matter what what matters is whether or not like what matters is what kind of part of the system are you going to be. You yeah. don't really have a choice as to whether or not you're a part of the system. You do have a choice as to how um, how your actions impact the system. Um, so, in other words, um, this you have no choice as to whether or not the system impacts you, but you do have a choice as to whether or not you impact the system, and. Um, again when i when i when i look at um people who um don't vote people who don't participate it's usually because they think that um them changing their actions will not change the society as a whole yeah. we kind of have to right and know, that's argue i mean that really is that is beyond the black community for sure i was at a concert last night and there was a teenage boy that had a shirt on that had like it was uh three check boxes and it was like democratic party republican party pizza party and mm -hmm. he checked pizza party and mm -hmm. i just like wanted to smack him yeah. i mean it's really like like you're talking about something different but it it like manifests itself in so many different ways and it ends up with young people not voting because they don't see that they can have an impact. And right. I guess maybe he was a teenager, maybe he wasn't 18 yet, but I really was so disheartened by that shirt. It, yeah. it seemed really basic, but yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think, I think one of the biggest reasons that I believe that my actions can make a difference and why I believe that the actions of others can make a difference is because um, I, I, I was taught ownership of my surroundings very early as a child. I mean, I, I was going into the voting booth with both my parents, my mom and my dad, from the from, since I can remember. I mean, they were carrying me walking in there and voting back when you had the old voting yeah, machines yeah. with the levers uh -huh. and everything and right. the curtain, you know. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, so... So there was that. I mean, you know, I had I had you know friends who's uh, my my late godmother uh, Vivian Harris. She used to uh, take me and, and her grandson, my 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 oldest friend. Uh, we used to go to the tennis courts at Delaware Park, and um, we didn't look like a lot of the people that used the tennis courts at Delaware Park. Especially back then, we're talking about the '90s when you know. Delaware Park wasn't as diverse it is, as it is now. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, but, 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 um, she would always get us, uh, a permit from the city to use the tennis courts. And so sort of a little known, um, uh, law. Mm -hmm. I don't know that it's still around, but back then, you know, if it, basically what, what it was, was a permit that said that you had priority to use this tennis court from this time to this time. Mm -hmm. So if the, if the tennis courts were free, um, 
you know, anyone can use it. But if, if the tennis courts are all full and you have that, that permit, you had the right to tell people, hey, get off your court because I have this, this permit from this time to this time. So uh-huh. when people would come to the tennis court and, you know, say, well, are you supposed to be here? You know, where did you people come from? She would say, oh, well, here, we have our permit. Where's yours? Yeah, You know yeah. what I mean? And so, <laughs> right. you know, there, there were people who, you know, taught me how to use a library. There were people who, you know, brought me to community meetings. And I, I remember going to a, you know, a Clinton-Gore rally when I was like, I don't know, five or six and whatever they were running the first time. You know, so they, and, and so I, I was all, I grew up around people who were politically, active and were active in my community and 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 whenever I saw anything change whether it was a theater that opened or a play that was put on or a festival that happened it was always always people I knew who were making it happen mm-hmm. you know and so I I never questioned the fact that every part of this city belonged to me as a, as a citizen you know yeah. and I think a lot of times when the only place that a child grows up is in an area that's neglected by the city and when they never have access to other parts of the city that are better funded and better taken care of they you know the same way people would come at us at the tennis courts you know that that challenges them that that says basically you know what are you doing here and they they grow up feeling like they don't own this you know mm-hmm. and and the yeah. constitution says that we do right, right. Our, our, by yeah. virtue of being an american citizen this city belongs to you right right exactly. and that and that means something and i think that those of us who understand that um have a sense of stewardship about our community and yeah. about our city and if you have that um convincing those people and, the, and and there's like i said before there's a legacy in buffalo of people like that when i, I was at a a meeting the other day and you know, it every I was around people I, I had never met before, but you know our parents all knew each other, and and you know they had various you know, you know degrees and and not degrees. You know some of them went to college, some of them didn't finish high school, but all of those people's parents, grandparents, everybody worked together in the same circles. You know worked for Art Eve's campaign, worked for, um, you know, uh, community organizations, worked for the Urban League. You know worked mm-hmm. for you know worked for these these organizations that keep our community running and so you know those people i don't think it's a coincidence that when i'm at these political meetings you know it's those people you know and those people who who, you know whose parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles you know were the people going out and doing petitions back in the day for all the old east side politicians it's all it's all those folks you know it's Mm -hmm. it's it's people who were taught ownership of their community that now have that sense of stewardship who are now going forward and you know who are in all these community organizations trying to get things going because they understand that this belongs to us and unless yeah. we do something about it um it's not going to change mm-hmm. um that's a really good segue to um me asking you about what is um young black democrats and mm-hmm. what's its mission current focus um because you're talking about the people that have been doing this for a long time, but you know, you're, you've been here for a while, but you know, now you're an adult too. So how, how is this organization forming and what's going on? Well, Young Black Democrats was formed, um, by Katrina Martin Bordeaux. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's something that I just got involved with, um, this, this past year for the 
for the purpose of getting out the vote. So and, okay. she might be a better person than me to well, talk no, to. But I can... you, yeah, just your experience is what I want right now. Mm-hmm. But I am interested in how you found her or found them because yeah, okay. that's a common thing I like to ask. So um, I was going, it was when I had, um, when I, uh, I, I lived in California for a, a time um, between 2012, 2013. And when I came back, um, I worked on a campaign, and that was when uh, Sheriff Howard got reelected the most recent time. And and since then, you know, there have been uh, these, you know, a lot of the deaths in the holding center have yeah. be, be, have come to light, and a lot of the um, the the sort of m- mistreatment of prisoners has come to light. There have been, you know, actions, uh, you know, by the Department of Justice and various investigations into that. And, Actually, and, okay, and so. Sorry to cut you off there, but I do like I don't know if everyone listening really understands that. So could you give a summary of the issues with the holding center? Okay. Well, you can wait and do it later, but that is well, some like people would want context. For well, that. I want to I want to get to first I want to get to how I met Katrina. So, okay, okay. so I met Katrina because I I I started going to um you know, meetings, uh, uh, gatherings of people uh who purported to be concerned about the holding center and the conditions in it. And all I found were these like whiny kind of, you know, kumbaya people who just wanted to share their feelings and just wanted to be angry and wanted to complain and talk about how the system isn't working. And yeah, you know, clap every time someone said something like that. No one had a plan to change it. No Mm. one. And that just, (laughs) it was so, you know, sort of discouraging. And uh, Katrina stood up and basically said, okay, well, what the hell are we going to do about it? And, and every, no one had an answer for her. And so I went up to her after one of these meetings and said, hey, you know, how, how do you feel about um, trying to get Sheriff Howard voted out of office? And she said, I'm, I'm all for it. And so, you know, we met, uh, I think it was last year, last summer. And so we've been just, you know, communicating back and forth. And now that this election season is starting, we are... Uh, um, starting uh, to get out the vote in the hopes that if enough of the city comes out and votes, it will change the, you know, the, the, it will change the, the, the structure of um, the, the Erie County Sheriff's Office and, and it will, we will thus regain some control over who polices us and how we are treated when mm-hmm. we are policed. And if, you know, God forbid any, any of us or any of our children ever have to go to the holding center, um, you know, our votes will have, you know, will make a difference over how they're treated and whether or not, you know, the constitution is respected um, when people go to jail, when, you know, when people have to interact with the sheriff's office. So um, you wanted me to talk a little bit about the yeah, sheriff's office I, issue in general, right? Yeah, just okay. like... I guess, I mean, you can talk about like how you were first aware of it, but really, when you're explaining to someone what's going on, how do you do it? Like, right. So, um, what I usually start with is by saying that we have someone in the sheriff's office um, who is is not a leader, and his lack of leadership and his his disdain. Uh, for people of color um, has resulted in deaths. Um, and, and what I say is that, you know, frankly, if you were 
part of the 65% of the city of Buffalo that could have voted in that election and didn't, Mm-hmm. In my opinion, you know, you have blood on your hands mm-hmm. because your inaction resulted in someone getting into office who didn't care about, you know, India Cummings, um, you know, who didn't care about, you know, people who are, you know, killing themselves in the holding center, who didn't care about um, all of the just disgusting conditions in the holding center that, that lead people to, to self-harm. I mean, that, you know, so um, I don't always say that to people, but what, mm-hmm. what I usually say is that, look, we have a, we have a sheriff in office that's doing a lot of things that um, I don't like and that you shouldn't like either. He's, he's allowing people to die in his holding center um, without explanation. Um, you know, he's, he's failed to cooperate with investigations of his holding center by, uh, you know, um, state and federal uh, justice authorities. Um, he has uh, used uh, this this uh, device called Stingray to um, to basically spy on people's phones without a warrant, which is grossly unconstitutional. Yeah, how does that work? It, well, well, just um, really briefly. Well, I know it's it's a van, right? It's a it's a it's a van yeah. with a with a t- wire with a not a wire tapping, but a tapping device that can tap into someone's cell phone. Yeah, and um, so there's. Uh, different law enforcement agencies use it Mm -hmm. but um at the federal level there is uh, not a law not a law passed by congress but a directive from the department of justice that basically says that you have to obtain a warrant before you use Mm. a stingray like device to spy on someone's telephone yeah there is no directive like that at the county or at the state level yeah so you have uh you know sheriff howard and and his his people uh using this van to be you know he could tap your phone he could tap my phone he could tap whoever's phone um without a warrant and it's totally unconstitutional Mm -hmm. um you know so 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 that's an issue um the deaths in the holding center i mean i can talk a little bit about india cummings just really quickly this is a girl who um according to her family uh you know behaved erratically after smoking some synthetic marijuana or something like that um basically freaked out on a bad batch of synthetic drugs mm-hmm. um, and did and did, that happens yeah and, yeah and 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 you know did some things which you know uh led to her being arrested and 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 without commenting too much i think that you know if any of us had done what she did i think we could reasonably expect to to be arrested but what happened next um you know her her staying in the holding center her being denied medical treatment her um you know when she was finally wheeled out of the medical center uh, when uh, when she was finally wheeled out of the holding center being uh you know having bones broken all these mysterious bruises mm-hmm. and then and then dying um mysteriously i mean that should not happen to anyone i mean remember our constitution states that everyone is innocent until we're proven guilty there's a we have a we have a right to a presumption of innocence right mm-hmm. um even if you're guilty there's a prohibition against you know cruel and unusual punishment so you know getting getting beaten to death in jail is not something that should happen to anyone Mm -hmm. in the united states of america and and it happened to india cummings and it happened under sheriff howard's watch yeah um you know and now um people who are um people who are on heroin or on opiates um, are also going into those jails, into his into his holding center, and are uh, are dying, um, you know, from 
uh, not getting proper medical treatment while in the holding center. And there yeah. have been, there have been uh, several other people um, who have died uh, since 2013 um, who were, you know, uh, who were on drugs or who were addicts, mm-hmm. um, you know, who died because they didn't receive water, you know, who died yeah. because they didn't receive medical treatment. I mean, that's not... That's not something that should happen anywhere in the world, least of all in the United States, you know, mm-hmm. because despite despite um, how this country has treated uh, a lot of different people, including people of color, um, you know, as a historian, I still think that this is one of the greatest countries in the world. I think it's one of the, I think it has one of the greatest legal systems. I think it has w- one of the most brilliant constitutions. I think we had some of the most brilliant founders of any country in the, in the world. And I think that, you know, it's, it's worth, our rights are worth fighting for. You know, I mean, we could, you know, we could move and leave and go somewhere else, but, you know, where? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's, there aren't a lot of places that don't have, there are places that don't have, you know these issues but they're they're smaller countries they're poor they're they're more homogenous right and so you know th- this country belongs to us and i don't think we should abandon it. and i think that we should fight for you know for people's rights here so so i so you know deaths like that you know unconstitutional deaths uncert unconstitutional searches of people's phones yeah um you know things like that um really should not be happening and so yeah we have if we if we are going to have a change um we're gonna have to vote and i think that with the sheriff's race um the numbers are, are kind of the numbers kind of show very clearly why he's there yeah. why sheriff howard uh, is there you know he's there because the city did not come out and vote. Yeah. He is that's it. He is there because right. the city's turnout was less than 35% in 2013 and so if we uh turn out at, at, at a higher rate um the number of votes that that will contribute um should be enough to take yeah. him out of office and to thus change the way the holding center is run to change you know the conditions that lead to deaths like uh what happened in india cummings that will change um you know the stingray procedure so that at the very least um it's used in conjunction with a warrant and there are no more warrantless searches from it mm-hmm. um and and again now it's not just you know black kids dying in the holding center it's it's opiate addicts it's you know this, yeah. this opiate crisis that is affecting um a lot of people in the south towns and in in uh, in, in south buffalo and on the west side um those people are coming into the holding center and are at risk yeah, of dying I, too and so i really want to emphasize that because this is i mean it shouldn't matter but it you know you're talking a lot about the city of buffalo and coming out to vote but this is a county sheriff and Absolutely. so anything that happens in the entire county like that's the holding center you go to yep. so it's i mean that's important for people to understand like everything you've just been talking about is in the context of even beyond the city absolutely and you know i, I think you know when people looked at you know india cummings you know the, you know some people were like oh that could be my daughter but other people who you know um didn't live in that area and you know didn't uh you know aren't part of her community were like oh well you know this is just you know someone who's not from my community going and dying and you know oh well it doesn't affect me but now there are people and that's not to say that everyone thinks like that i'm just saying yeah. that that's that's the response that you get from a lot well, of folks just but the now, story that you just told me like as a woman is freaks me out sure I mean, so yeah. yeah and and you know freaks me out as a man you know so um but now you know the people who are su- subject to arrest don't all look the same and mm-hmm. i think that that um 
that provides an opportunity to to go into people who might not care about someone who looks like India Cummings and say, well, you know, now they're arresting people who look like you, and they're arresting people who are struggling with issues that maybe your children are struggling with, maybe, you know, your friends or your children's friends are struggling with. I mean, lots of people know someone, um, you know, who, who's dealt with, uh, you know, opiate abuse or, or with, uh, with heroin addiction, and now those people are being arrested as mm-hmm. well and are being thrown in the same holding center and are being um, you know, given the same treatment, which uh, might suggest that maybe Sheriff Howard just doesn't care about prisoners, period, and it's not just a black thing. However, um, the rally appearance in Niagara Square where he was speaking in uniform um, behind someone who was waving a Confederate flag, I think, um, right. you know, and the fact that he said that he was uh, satisfied, fully satisfied with the treatment that India Cummings got in the holding center, I think uh, speaks to a, a particular disdain that he has for people of color, um, above and beyond the disdain that he has for prisoners in general. Yeah. And, and both are disgusting and both are, are mm-hmm. unjust, and I think that's why we need to get him out of office. Yeah, well said. Um, okay, well, I guess I briefly just, I want to stick with voting really quickly, like just for people listening, if they're not registered, how do they do that? Well, um, you, uh, fill out a voter registration form. Um, Where? you can fill, you can get one from the board of elections, which, uh, actually just moved. It used to be on, uh, Eagle street. It's now at 95 Franklin street in the Rath building. It's on the, uh, second floor of the Rath building. Okay. Um, you can also come to young black Democrats of Western New York headquarters at 1325 main street. Um, that address was in the news yesterday for some, uh, some, uh, some, some business from some other political organizations. So I guess I should go on the record right now is stating that Young Black Democrats of Western New York is not affiliated with either grassroots or the Urban Chamber of Commerce in any way, shape, or form. But uh, you can come ba- come on down to 1325 Main Street and um, and and grab a voter registration form. Uh, you do not have to be black to uh, have the Young Black Democrats help you fill out a form. So, um, you know, and, and um, you can also come to our table. We are going to be at Juneteenth uh, both days at Martin Luther King Park. Uh, we are going to uh, be uh, handing out um, voter registration forms. We will be uh, we will have people on site to help people who want help filling out voter registration forms. Um, and um, yeah, so that, so you yeah, fill out a voter registration yeah. form, you send it to the board of elections, mm-hmm. um, and then they send you a, a little uh, little voter card, card yeah. um, which you don't actually need by law to go into your polling place right. and vote. But it, never, I always take they, it. Yeah, I always take it too, but um, they know. never seem to check yeah, it. You, and I've always registered to vote through the DMV. You yeah. can do it there too. You okay. can do. They they have uh, voter registration forms at the DMV. Um, so they, there are a lot of ways that you yeah. can register, but. Um, however you do yeah, it just just, just do, do it, it. <laughs> okay just absolutely just do it all right um thank you so now i want you to talk to me a little bit about your work with upward bound um what it is and what you're working on with them for the summer yeah um so upward bound is a program that is designed to provide educational enrichment to children who um, 
are at a whose families are below a certain income level and who are uh, the first in their family to have a chance to go to college. Mm-hmm. Um, so the program, um, and I, I actually, I worked with them during college uh, and, and, and haven't worked with them for a while, but I'm working with them again this summer. Um, the program, I believe, goes from uh, ninth grade until 12th grade. And so I will be teaching uh, 12th graders who are on their way to college in mm-hmm. what's called the Bridge Program, which is a subset of the Upward Bound Program. Um, I will be uh, teaching them a course in English. Uh, we're going to be, um, there's going to be a heavy focus uh, on poetry um, of, of all different sorts. So everything from uh, you know Shakespeare's sonnets to uh, to Jay Z, mm-hmm. um, you know to um, Kendrick Lamar, um, Miguel Pinheiro, um, You know uh, we're going to be focusing heavily on poetry and prose. Uh, the other class I'm going to be teaching is called um, sociology and politics. Mm. Uh, so that's going to be a, a fun a fun course. Yeah. Um, I'm also working with Upward Bound to develop a larger uh, curriculum. Uh, to actually do what we were talking about earlier and teaching children ownership of their communities. It's going mm-hmm. to be a, a, a program that um, has the students in a, in a particular class identify uh, an issue in their community that they want to see changed. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this is where the class is going to steer them towards a sort of a non-controversial issue. We're not going to be dealing with, you know, police brutality here or anything yeah. like that because w- what the class is going to be is going to be a workshop on civics. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and basically once the students identify that issue, um, the class is going to teach them um, about their, their rights as a citizen within the context of teaching them how to fix that issue. So, yeah. you know, for example, um, a broken streetlight, okay? Who manages uh, streetlights in your city? Well, now you have to figure out, you know, who your politicians are. You have to figure out, you know, who the, um, who the you know, the, the, what department actually handles that. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to figure out why those people have that power, right? And then you have to figure out what politician is responsible for that. And then you learn um, how to lobby that politician. You know, you teach them how to how to dress up for a lobbying visit, mm-hmm. teach them how to, you know, prepare statements, teach them how to uh, circulate petitions door to door, teach them how to do a letter writing campaign. Yeah. And, and at the end of the, uh, at the uh, this is a curriculum designed for an entire school year so the idea is that by the end of the year um, because the pr- the issues are non-controversial um, hopefully by the end of the year they will be solved um, and that way the, the children can see um, they have they will have a tangible example of something that uh, changed because of their political involvement yeah and that I think having examples of that like I said when you're young is is super important and I think that if we do more of that uh, we will instill you know civic virtues in our kids and and, and it, we will uh, avoid ever having another president who's elected by a minority because yeah. you know the people who didn't want him in office didn't come out and force to vote yeah so. I agree um, I just wanted to say really quick that every time that you've been talking about ownership of your city and it, it is reminding me of the stuff that I've been really interested in with the public trust doctrine and um, you know people having ownership in the air water coastline mm-hmm. that kind of thing so anyways I just 
I saw the parallel, so I wanted to say it because I've talked about it on this podcast before. We own all of this. It's all. Yeah. Bo- I mean, I, I you know, I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm not a I'm not a communist. I do believe <laughs> in private property and all those good, yeah. you know, English common law things. But, um, you know, we own the parks. We own the streets. You know, we we own the waters. I mean, and these, the air. And the and, air. I mean, yeah. the, the, these things belong to us. And if we. Um, if we let people take it from us, they're going to take it, mm-hmm. you know. And right now, people are taking it from us because we are not, we are not organized, we are not standing up and you know saying yeah. this is enough. And 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 hopefully, you know, we can change that. One of the one of the things that um, I, I've noticed about Buffalo, having lived here, um, being raised here, but having come back and lived here in this like most recent four year period. Oh, it's been four years now. Um, what, I, <laughs> what I've really noticed is that there are there are a lot of intelligent and good people in this city and in this county, but those people don't have very much power. Yeah. Um, the the people who run things are not the good smart people. They are yeah. you know, and and the good smart people, um, they 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 are in their own little silos. They're divided, and so and you very know, like petty things are getting in the way. Super like, petty. Yeah. Just yeah. the big picture is not coming through. Yeah. People are more concerned, unfortunately, especially in the city of Buffalo, um, especially in, in the black community, um, you have people who are concerned with protecting their own little fiefdoms and their own little spheres of influence. And they do that to the to the detriment of, you know, unity and, mm. and to the detriment of being able to, you know, work together. I mean, the, the only way that we're going to be able to overcome, you know, a developer class with a lot of money and with complete disdain for our community is if we work together. And if, if I got to go to grassroots for one thing and unity for another thing and you know again both organizations that have done a lot for our community but um you know the idea that you know we can't work together is just absolutely preposterous and i I think it's time for that to stop yeah so and it it goes beyond that too i mean that's like the first step like i guess people in different groups that are you know generally put in different places they all need to work together but then they have to network with other people who are on the progressive side because it it is it's silos on silos <laughs> like oh, it ab- just absolutely goes. i mean like i said uh, earlier in the, in this interview that you know buffalo is one of the few places um a few cities where you have a large like poor white population i think that that matters i was talking to somebody a friend of mine when i went down to dc a couple of weeks ago and just pointed out to her that you know i mean they're looking around like there are no poor white people here yeah. you know they, they're in the they're in the you know the rural maryland and virginia but there are no poor white people in the city of, of yeah. you know, dc and so and so w- when you have a situation like that you know whether you're a poor white person in a rural area or a poor black person in in, in washington dc you you kind of grow up um in a situation where all the poor people all the people who are neglected by your local politicians all look like you Mm -hmm. and so that that sort of uh promotes this idea that um you're being neglected um not because you're poor but because you're black or because you're you know you're you're poor and white or whatever you know you're a white rural person or you're a black you know person in the the inner city and and buffalo is that's not the case you know we have lots of of poor white folks poor black folks poor hispanics we got poor asians and And a lot of refugees coming in from all over the world absolutely um well i mean black white hispanic and asian i mean usually the refugees are from one of those 
one of those Fair groups, enough. right? They're yeah. from Africa, Asia, sure. or, you know, Latin America or somewhere in America or somewhere, right? Yeah. But anyway, um, whatever they look like, um, you know, if you're poor and marginalized, um, you, you tend to get treated the same way, you know? And mm-hmm. so I think that because you have these different groups of marginalized people in the same city, that creates opportunities to build bridges that are harder to build. You know, it, it, it's it's a lot easier, I think, to build a bridge between the east side and south Buffalo than it is to build a bridge between inner city Washington, D.C. and, you know, poor rural Maryland somewhere, yeah, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and so I think that there there are a lot of opportunities in this city to, to come together and to really increase... Um, political power and to get people on the same page and to get people to support um, an agenda that will work for all of us, that will work Mm -hmm. for, you know, white folks, black folks, Asians, Latinos, whoever. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that if we do that, um, we'll not only change Buffalo, but we could change the country and by virtue of doing that, change the world. Nice. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. So we're going to my last kind of last question. Um, So where do you in yourself or in society, where are you right now experiencing a world that's dying and where are you experiencing a world that's being born to take its place? I mean, I I, I kind of think we're all experiencing that to an extent, right? I mean, oh yeah, everybody um, is. It's just that everyone has their own answer to that. And so wh- what is it for you? What are you noticing? It can be positive or negative. I think, yeah, I think, I think it's both for sure. I think the world, the, in my experience, um, the world that's dying that I see is the world that was born out of, you know, colonialism and the world that was born out of uh, Western European hegemony. I think that that world, um, for better and for worse, is is dying. I think, you know, you look at all the first world nations, you look at, you know, um, uh, you know the United States, uh, you know, we're the richest country in the world. Um, we have millions of people living in poverty, millions of children living in poverty. You know, the, the opportunities that were there for your parents and for my parents, uh, you know, who were, uh, you know, baby boomers or slightly younger than that, um, are not around for our generation. Um, yeah. You know, uh, people's pension funds are drying up. You know, this whole idea that you can work eight hours a day, uh, five days a week, um, and have enough money to, you know, have a decent roof over your head, you know, to send your kids to, to college and, you know, have enough money left over to retire and die in a, a bed is just mm-hmm. gone for us. You know, yeah, it's just yeah, absolutely gone. Right. Um, and so, you know, in that context, I, I see that world, that, that, that world that um, the Americans who came before us, um, grow, who grew up in, um, the world that the Americans who came before us grew up in is dying. Absolutely. It's, it's going away. It's being replaced by a sort of like neo-feudalism, you know, sort of like oligarchy. Yeah. What would you, Um, how would you explain that to me? (laughs) Um, I mean, look at, look at, you know, the, 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 the small percentage of people in this country that control the vast majority of wealth. Yeah. I mean that, if you look at a, if you look at a chart, um, it wasn't like that 
Mm-hmm. 40 years ago right, <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. uh look at the average amount of money that a, a person in the middle class has right yeah um, i guess i just look at what that the can wor- buy the now, word right? neoliberal confuses me just define that real quick for for my own sake i've looked it up before and i still have a problem understanding everyone has it. a different <laughs> definition i mean i don't know i guess if you wanted to talk if you wanted to uh, i guess I don't know, neoliberal, what are we talking like Bill Clinton, Tony Blair? Like, okay. uh, what are we talking about? When we well, talk, I, mean, I don't know. That's what um, I want to know. You just said things are being replaced by neoliberalism, and I, I, think, I, said, I think I said uh, neo-feudalism. Neo, oh, okay, there we go. Yeah. Sorry, neo-feudalism. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. I um, explain that one then. Well, I mean, well, f- f- feudalism, right, was a, was a system where you had, uh, you know, one king or you know monarch in power mm-hmm. uh you know he uh you know gave lands to large you know land holding nobles and they in turn you know get it's basically a giant patronage system yeah. and, you know is the antithesis of you know the society that we like to think we live in where you know people uh earn earn their earn their living by hard work and who you know earn promotion in the society through merit instead yeah. of you know through kissing someone's ass and that's yeah you know that's not really you know <laughs> that's not the way it works anymore right exactly. i mean i mean our, our our president is you know selling influence to the highest bidder through his son-in-law right now i mean yeah. you know there's all kinds of violations of the emoluments clause of the constitution right now i mean that that that's an oligarchy i mean we're we're mm-hmm. we're looking more and more like like uh like russia right now where we just have mm-hmm. you know a few very wealthy people um you know we have people like lawyers and bankers who are in service industries to serve the needs of those wealthy people yeah. you know and 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 you know we have police who are paid better than other city workers so that they can keep you know people in line mm-hmm. and then everybody else is screwed yeah. you know i mean even even people like you and i you know who have student loan debts i mean mm-hmm. w- w- less than 50% of our generation went to college, right? Yeah. Uh, try to get a job in this city or anywhere in this right. country without a college degree, mm-hmm. right? Try to get a job in this city without a, or, or, or try to get a job in this country without a graduate degree, yeah. right? Most people in our generation don't have that. So if people who have college degrees mm-hmm. are struggling, how yeah. much worse off are people who don't even have that, you know, who yeah. are working two and three jobs, who are, you know, have to live in, you know, long stay motels because they can't, you know, mm-hmm. they don't have, uh, you know, steady sources of income to be right. able to show prospective landlords. I, I know people I mean, like that. Or yeah. just they live with their parents. Yeah. So yeah. so right now, what's happening is this this massive. I don't like to use the word, but a massive underclass is being created. Mm. You know, of of people who um, do not have economic opportunity, and they are basically they are going to be at the mercy of, of the few who who do have uh, money and who do have wealth and who do have you know the resources to you know send their kids to get an education and and yeah. it, it's it's it doesn't have to be this way it, right. it really yeah, doesn't exactly. but in order for it to change people have to engage they have to they have to vote yeah. i mean all we talk about campaign finance we talk about you know money spent on campaigns you can spend a billion dollars on a campaign telling people to vote one way and putting out commercials and that's all well and good but if people decide that they're going to be informed if people decide that they're going to think for themselves and if people decide that they're going to 
go out and vote that billion we can negate that billion dollars you know what i mean we still have that power um but if we but if we wait for too long you know if if we have our you know if we if we allow our our press to be um you know uh, uh if we allow people to you know like what happened uh the other week um i think it was was it in virginia where this guy was trying to interview a, a congressman and got arrested uh um, you know if we allow things like that to happen yeah. if we allow our you know these these people to sort of um you know take away our first amendment rights if we allow people to um you know keep killing our children and 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 you know getting away with it because they have a badge because we don't vote for the DA because we don't show up to vote for judges because we don't show up to mm-hmm. you know vote for a mayor who's going to um, take it upon themselves to change the collective bargaining agreement with the police union in your city so that you know uh, the rules of engagement when you come across a citizen aren't changed a lot of yeah. times when we when we see you know cops getting away with you know killing people it's because in their collective bargaining agreement, it says, you know, it defines um, how you can engage with citizens when it's appropriate to use deadly force. You know, we can change those kinds of things, but right. soon it's going to be too late. Yeah, I I read recently in my public trust doctrine book about how just the decline of the citizenry and how our entire democracy, I mean, yeah, it requires three branches of government and all that great <clears throat> mm-hmm. stuff, but it also requires an engaged citizenry, which, right. I mean, there's stats about how like free time in America has declined drastically over the years and there's all those excuses, but really, I mean, they're just excuses and they can't be used anymore. I mean, it's, yeah, time Absolutely. to stay engaged. Absolutely. Everyone everyone finds some free time to do something. Right, exactly. You, know I mean? you I might mean, have to skip out on like a, watching a sports game or right. something like that right. every couple of weeks. Right. <laughs> Right. And that's, and that's, and that's, that's how we got to, that's how we got the freedoms we do have, you know, just by, you know, people meeting in church groups after work and, Mm -hmm. you know, um, 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 people, uh, you know, meeting in social clubs and and, and just organizing and going out and doing what needed to be done. We have to get back to that. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of talk, especially on the right uh, of a sort of decline uh, in American culture. And Mm. what they mean is a decline in, you know, whiteness, right? They, that's what they mean. They Mm -hmm. mean a decline in, you know, the, um, all, all the things that, you know, I've been talking about, you know, civic values and civic engagement, those people automatically uh, associate with, you know, a certain race. Um, and I disagree with that, but I do agree that there has been a decline in our in our civic virtue and in our the decline in, you know, um, American culture in that regard. And I think that we have an opportunity to build our own real national identity that all of us can take part in and that all of us can feel a part of. Yeah. Um, and where all of us... Um, make decisions um together because we are all engaged you know yeah and we all yeah like keep their keep your eye on the prize like don't get bogged down by the the little things like that we were talking about before yeah Um, yeah and I, i also think it's important you know to your point of you know not getting bogged down i do think it's really important to kind of every once in a while you know just take stock of where you are in your own life and you know just kind of check check how you're doing because I know, uh, you know, a lot of the people who I, who I work with and a lot of the activists who I've met, um, 
they have been in this work for a long time and it can wear on you. It can wear yeah, on your mind and it can wear is, on your body. And yeah, real, burnout is yeah. real for real. So, you know, self, self care is important, but you yeah. know, being, uh, you know, being completely disengaged, um, is just selfish, you know, yeah, so, yeah. at this point. Well said. All right. Final thoughts or asks or recommendations for people listening. Yes. Um, so again, really quickly, um, Democrats outnumber Republicans in Erie County two to one. Um, Republicans control a lot of countywide offices because Democrats do not show up to vote. Um, I usually vote Democrat. I do not always vote Democrat. I have voted for some Republicans in my time, but at this point in history, um, given who's in charge of the Republican Party, um, I, I think that if we're going to have any, you know, positive change in this country, it's going to come from the left side of the spectrum, at least initially. And so I really, really encourage you, please look at who um, is up for election this year and, and vote. If you do, if you are not registered to vote, um, send a message to young black Democrats on Facebook um, you know, send a message and I will respond to you personally and I will get you registered. If you know any, if you know any, if any of you have kids who are turning 18 who are, you know, going to be able to register for the first time, get them registered. If you have friends or family, if you have uncles and, you know, cousins and all, what, anybody you know who is not registered to vote, get them registered. And if you don't think that it's worth it to vote, look at how much people have sacrificed to get you the right to vote and ask yourself why ask yourself why people had to die to get you the right to vote it's because your vote matters it's because our votes matter so please 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 um register to vote um show up for the primary elections show up for the general election the primary elections on september 12th this year general elections on november 7th um please 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 um vote we owe it to ourselves we owe it to each other we owe it to the people who got us here all right Thanks, Miles. It's great talking to you. Thank you, Laura, for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Keeping Things Alive podcast. My name is Laura Evans, and if you would like more information about me, this podcast, or other work that I care about, please visit www.keepingthingsalive.org.